we're going to read the Scripture and then make observations in the text. And then make sure we correlate all the things we learn and make sure they're consistent with Bible teaching. Then we're going to do the very best job we could to accurately interpret what Paul's trying to convey to this audience that he's writing to, these churches in Galatia. And once we do that, then we were going to take and try to apply that correct interpretation of God's Word in our lives. And when we do that, here's the reality, that makes us ask questions, doesn't it? When we learn things about God's will and we come face-to-face with hard statements like we're going to encounter today, that just makes us ask questions. Paul starts out this section today with the instruction we're supposed to walk by the Spirit. Man, that is bloated with questions. There are a bunch of them there. And for sure, I think the biggest one is this. Well, how? You say walk by the Spirit. How do I do that? And so this is a question that we're going to address. We're going to try and answer. This is not a rhetorical question. This is not a goofy question that doesn't have an answer. There are lots of questions like that. Like, why do some superheroes wear their underwear on the outside of their uniforms and some wear it on the inside? Not sure we can actually give an answer to that one. Some questions are, are just really hard because they don't make sense, right? You ever had this one? If you've ever flown on an airplane, you've been asked a question that is unanswerable. I just guarantee it. If you fly a bunch, you recognize the question. You go up to baggage check and you bring your bag, and they say, did you pack your own bag? Well, that's one I can answer. Like, yeah, I have a valet. I have, I have a servant that packs my bag for me. No, I packed my own bag. And then they ask this question. Well, did anyone put anything in your bag without your knowledge? What? (laughs) Isn't that the definition of without my knowledge that I wouldn't know that they put it in the bag? How on earth are you supposed to answer a question like that? Paul's not setting us up for those kind of questions in this text. We're going to read and study and ask some questions. And so first, let me set the stage just a little bit in case you've missed something since we started in chapter 5. He begins chapter 5 with this notion that it was for freedom that Christ set us free. And we talked about the fact that once we begin a relationship with the God of the universe, totally by grace and through faith in Jesus, we are saved. We make this glorious exchange where Jesus takes all of our junk and we get all of his righteousness. And at that moment, there's a moment of salvation. It's eternal. And when that happens, we said, it's not just that we are saved from something. We are saved from being eternally separated from God. That happens for sure. But we are also saved to something. Paul says we're saved to a relationship with God. And he's teaching we're saved to this idea of living in freedom. So it's the freedom not to sin. It's the freedom to live for him. The freedom to love and serve. So we don't say, well, I'm good now. I'm covered. So I can sin all I want and God will have to forgive me because of Jesus. That's not it. So if we're here and we're Christ followers, we're saved from separation from God and we're saved to not having to live the rest of our lives being fearful of, gosh, I wonder if I've done enough to warrant going to heaven. We've been set free from living in that kind of fear, and we've been set free to live in love. So this whole chapter is about that freedom. That's what Paul's talking about, because the church in Galatia was really struggling with this. And specifically, they were hearing all this false teaching about how maybe they should do some external things to try and earn God's favor. And you remember Paul's instruction for them was, no, stand firm. And what he means is don't stray away from the true gospel message because external things don't matter in the true gospel. He said whether you're Jewish or not, whether you've been circumcised or not, that stuff doesn't matter for salvation. So if external things don't matter, well, then what does? And Paul shared 
It's faith working itself out in love. And that was our challenge last week. Would we be motivated to go out and love our neighbor? Would we be motivated to put their interests before our own and love our neighbors as ourselves? That's a tough call. Would we be motivated by God's love to not consider other people as competition, (laughs) but to truly see them as brothers and sisters in Christ? Or maybe to go out and find lost people and see them as lost and broken and hurting, and we'd give them the chance to respond to the gospel message. So that's where we've been, and now Paul introduces this huge conflict that is there for everybody who's professed faith in Jesus Christ. And it's this fact that there's a war going on in our bodies between the flesh and the spirit. And Paul introduces this battle as kind of an answer to the question that he keeps putting before the Galatians, how do we live in freedom? What does it look like to understand grace? That's what he's addressing here. And so he shares, starting in verse 16 of chapter 5, how do we live in freedom? Paul says, walk by the spirit, and you'll not carry out the desire of the flesh. He says, for the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. Here's the battle. For those are in opposition to one another. He says, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. So two opposing forces, and this is like the battle in rock, paper, scissors. You know, Paul's saying the Spirit beats the flesh always on paper. That's the way it should play out. But if we've enjoyed a relationship with the Lord for any period of time, then we know that our lives aren't lived on paper, are they? Our lives happen kind of in real time. So here that is how this kind of works progressively. There's a moment in our lives when we are converted, when we receive salvation, right? And so if that moment's over here and we respond to the Jesus event by placing our trust in Christ, we receive the indwelling Holy Spirit. And at that moment, we're saved. That's salvation, right? And so if we have that moment, then way over here, and some of us live longer than others, but wherever it is, way over here, there's this moment of glorification. And at that moment, we're going to be perfectly sanctified. We're going to be without sin. We're going to be as Christ-like as we can be. And you understand, I won't be alive. (laughs) You won't be alive. This isn't going to happen next week for us unless we go to see Jesus. But, But at this moment, we're glorified. So over there, we're saved. Over here, we're glorified. What's all this stuff in the middle? Well, that's the flesh. That's where we live. And as we live, we walk along and we're enabled by the Holy Spirit and we're equipped by the Holy Spirit, hopefully to become more and more Christ-like. We talked about this being progressive sanctification. That was the term we used. Well, all that gap, all that space between salvation and glorification, that's the flesh. It's what's happening right now. It's where we live. It's not on paper. It's real. And it's where we mess up. It's where we sin where our actions get, get us in trouble. It's where we sometimes view others and we try to compare ourselves because we're fallen people. And so we look at Joe and we say, oh gosh, man, Joe's got it together. Joe, I want to be like Joe because Joe has a quiet time. And Joe prays. And Joe tithes. I like Joe. But then I look over here at Bob and Bob, man, his life is a hot mess. I don't want to be like Bob. And that's what we do. We, we compare people. And when we do that, what we're really doing is just addressing the things that we can see in their lives. We're really only looking at half the picture in terms of cause and effect. We just see effects. And they're the effects of this ongoing battle inside of us between the spirit and the flesh. 
And so those things we see in the lives of people, it's not really about being moral or immoral. It's not really about being ethical or unethical. It's about this battle, this wrestling match that's going on inside of us between the flesh and the spirit. And true freedom depends on how much we're walking with the Holy Spirit, how much we're being led by the Spirit in that gap. Because we'd achieve true freedom if we let the Holy Spirit do what it came to do. It came to win. The Holy Spirit can whip the flesh every time. When we allow the Holy Spirit to operate in our lives, He's unstoppable. As New Testament saints, we have the same Holy Spirit living inside of us that raised Jesus from the dead. So He can't be beaten. But we don't live our lives on paper, do we? It's never a question of how much Holy Spirit we have. Like we could get some more if we just gave some more money. Or if we just prayed some more. Or if we just tried to keep the law a little bit better. It's not about that. It's not a question of how much Holy Spirit we get. We get all of Him. The question is, how much of us does He get? Are we willing to yield? Are we willing to surrender? Do we walk by the Spirit? Because when we do, in that fleshy gap, then these battles come up and they're not much. (laughs) They're not wars, they're just little skirmishes that break out and then they're done. They're quickly defeated. Do you recognize that? If we walk by the Spirit, somebody comes up and and tells you a lie or gives you some false teaching and you go, no, thanks, (laughs) I already know the answer to that one. I don't believe that. And the battle's over. But if we're honest, there are times when we're on that walk when, when it just seems like our flesh is rising up over and over again and cascading over us and we get exhausted and we fall and we lose this battle that on paper there's no way we should lose. But we let the flesh win when we're not walking by the Spirit. And Paul says when we do that, we're not living in freedom. We end up doing things that we don't want to do. And here's the truth on this. Both the Holy Spirit and the flesh They make the same promise. They're both promising the same thing, but only one of them can actually deliver on the promise. And the promise is freedom. That's what Paul's talking about. Freedom to live our lives filled with this abundant joy. Freedom to do the things that God has fearfully and wonderfully wired us to do for His glory. So the Holy Spirit says, follow me to freedom. And the flesh says, no, follow me to freedom. And Paul's point is only one of these two opposing forces will actually get us to freedom. And one's just a mirage. It's not freedom at all. We get kind of that universal stereotype for a mirage. It's the the lonely desert traveler. They're exhausted and dehydrated, and they see an oasis in the distance. So they muster up all they can, and they crawl to it. Why? Because that's where the replenishment is. It's where the abundance is. That's where the picture of life is. But the problem is if you crawl to it and it's a mirage, when you get there, instead of gulping water, you're just chugging sand. See, that's what the flesh does. It promises freedom, but it leaves us gulping sand. Flesh says you can live in freedom through legalism. That's the mirage. Just do these certain things. Just keep the law. Just get circumcised. Just listen to certain types of music. Only practice religion that isn't filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you do that, that image... (laughs) of the oasis, it's just always right out of our reach. See, the flesh sets us up to fail. Sets us up to compare ourselves. You seen yourself doing that? Man, do you know Michelle? Michelle gets up like at five in the morning to pray. She prays for lost people all the time. She prays for like an hour a day. I'm going to do that. 
And so we get up the next morning at 5 o'clock and we pray for everybody we know. Every lost person we know, we pray for our family like twice and we say amen and we look at the clock and it's been eight minutes. And we get angry at Michelle. The flesh sets us up to fail. It's a mirage. There's no real freedom there. There's no rest. There's no joy in the flesh. The flesh wants us to conquer others, not celebrate their accomplishments. Flesh leads us to think that God is against us. He's not for us. Because we know we want to do what we want to do, but those things don't line up with the will of God for our lives. And so we become, what, angry and bitter. We think God's just the God of no. He he didn't know what's best for me. He just says, don't do this and don't do that. When we play that game, when we don't walk by the Spirit, the text tells us that's what's going to happen. We're going to start carrying out the desires of the flesh. We'll try to find our own freedom, but it's just a mirage. Paul says, no, let the game play out the way it's supposed to on paper because then the Holy Spirit is unstoppable. And he says to do that, we can't just walk with the Spirit. We need to be led by the Spirit. I love that picture. I don't know if you've ever seen this. I've been blessed to see it. You ever seen somebody lead a guide or guide a blind person along? How do they do it? You ever seen somebody grab a blind person and just drag them from one spot to another? Would that be real loving? You ever see somebody get behind a blind guy and just shove him? Say, the door's over that way. Good luck. No. It'd just be, it'd be rude. It'd be cruel. What you see is that person, they'll walk alongside them. A lot of times they'll put like their hand in the small of their back. They'll hold their arm. And what do they do? They just kind of gently nudge them, encourage them, direct them. They're walking with them. That's what a good guide does. Well, the Holy Spirit is a good guide. In verse 18, Paul says, if we let the Holy Spirit lead us. We're not just walking alongside of him, but he's there encouraging us and directing us. He says we won't be under the law. We've talked about this enough. Hopefully we understand what Paul's trying to say here. Being under the law would mean we're living our lives in a place where we think we could keep the law enough to earn some points with God. You know, so it's about internal and external things. The law is always about the external things. Do this, don't do that. The Spirit is about the internal things. The indwelling spirit in a Christ follower guides us to say, internally, I just want to follow. I just want to go wherever God leads. And that's real telling because that goes back to that cause and effect principle. In our lives, we only see effects. We only see external things. And we really don't want anybody to see the internal things, do we? We don't like admitting that we're messed up internally. I guarantee it's true. I know I've done this myself. Have you heard people talk this way? I have a pornography problem. I have an anger issue. I have an alcohol addiction. So I need to work on those external things. No. Really, I need to trust Jesus. I need to be led by the Holy Spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to win that war. I can't just deal with those external issues. I have an internal problem with my heart. It's not focused on Christ. And as the Holy Spirit gently guides me, you've got to understand, He won't just be about the external actions. He doesn't want to just fix those. He's going to guide us to the place where we have to address why our hearts won't trust Jesus. Why our hearts won't believe that God desires the best for us. Why our hearts won't believe that God wants us to walk in freedom. I've had all those issues. I said this last week. I didn't just have the issues. I had a Jesus issue. 
And I still do because I'm not over here yet, right? This is all still the flesh. This is what we're going to struggle with. It's what the people in Galatia struggled with. Now, Paul gives us some detail in these next two sections on the deeds of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. First, let's look at the bad stuff, the effects of not walking in the Spirit. This is the effects of letting the flesh win the battle in our lives. It's in verses 19 to 21. It's a tough list. It says, now the deeds of the flesh are evident. Here they are. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, things like this. Not a good list. Of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul's point is that if somebody lives enslaved to these things, if we habitually engage in them, then that person's not a believer. Because <laughs> he says they won't inherit the kingdom of God. And we've already covered this. Genuine Christ followers do inherit the kingdom of God. So Paul's not talking about losing salvation here. He's just saying if we're on this path, and we're walking from over here and we're walking to over there and we slip off and we fall into one of these sins, we don't lose our salvation. It's not the way it works. But he is saying if we live in these sins, if we camp out in these deeds of the flesh, then that would give evidence that we've never truly accepted that glorious exchange that God is offering us. So let's break down this list a little bit. It's kind of in five categories. Paul starts out with this first category, and these are deeds of sexuality. And there's some pretty hard-hitting stuff in here. And so right out of the gate, we look at this list, and we're reminded that we're all broken in this area. And so let me go on record and say, sex is a good thing. A little surprised I didn't get an amen there, but it could be awkward, I understand. Seriously, sex is a good thing that God created. And so in the right arena, we can celebrate it. We can rejoice in it. We can participate in it. And that arena is in the marriage relationship. But sex can be such a dangerous proposition and just controlling and powerful. And so God, in his incredible wisdom, he established the playing field for it. He set the arena for it. And in that arena, sex is wonderful. But that's what happens in the confines of marriage, in the covenant of that relationship, where we're transparent, where there's intimacy and, and friendship and one fleshiness. I think I made that word up. That's not a real word, is it? But, but that's the idea. You're so transparent. You know each other. And you say, man, I've seen all your stuff. And you're not just talking about flesh. You're talking about your goofy stuff and your serious stuff and, and the things that get you worked up. You go to a wedding, you always hear the vows, right? They say, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor. It's because that's the things you're going to see when we're one flesh. But we're fallen people. We live in this gap. And so... In this area, these deeds of the flesh, they show us what happens when we don't live in freedom and abundance and the joy that God desires for us. Paul uses a, a Greek word here. It's the word porneia, which covers really just a broad number of sexual sins. It's where we get that word that we see so often, pornography. So that's this. This, this is porn and everything else. This is adultery and bestiality and homosexuality and child molestation. This is everything wrapped up in these deeds of the flesh. Because Paul's saying we're at war. There's a war inside the heart of a believer between the Spirit and the flesh. And if we don't walk by the Spirit, then these deeds can come out. 
And one of the ways they come out is sexually in our lives. Then he goes to the second category. These are deeds of false religion. It says idolatry, sorcery. These are, these are really deeds of trying to find spirituality without the Holy Spirit. So we might see this play out in something like witchcraft, but what it really is, it's false religion. It talks about idolatry. See, idolatry is not that we stop worshiping, right? It's that we worship the wrong thing. We worship a false thing. The object of our worship becomes something other than the one true God. A.W. Tozer defines it for us. He says, idolatry is worshiping anything other than God or worshiping God as anything less than what he's revealed himself to be. So it's not just like worshiping Baal out of the Bible or or worshiping magicians or something like that. It's actually a little more devious than that. What if I devote all my time and effort and energy into a relationship? What, What if it's my wife? What if it's my kids? Whoops, that's idolatry. What if I'm so consumed by my love for the St. Louis Cardinals? Whoops. It's idolatry. It's not saying I can't love my wife. It's not saying I don't love my kids or even the Cardinals. It's saying I just don't love them more than I love God. So these deeds come out sexually. They come out in false religion. They can also come out socially. This next category, Paul lists enmities, strife, and jealousy. Because these sins, these deeds, they don't just distance us from God, right? They distance us from one another. Where does that play out? It's socially. And this is where we need the encouragement and the reminder to love others, be motivated to go love our neighbor as ourselves. And so there, that next category, then you see the effects of getting the social part wrong. It's the result of messing up socially. Paul lists outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying. So we have these social issues where we're at odds with each other, well, that leads to that next section of the deeds of the flesh, right? Because if we're jealous, that will lead to disputes and envying and division. That's sad on so many levels. Because I'd, I'd virtually guarantee you've seen this play out somewhere. In your workplace, at school, in your home. It's horrible because I've heard just sad, sad stories of churches that will split over these deeds of the flesh. We have these fleshly attitudes where there's strife and enmity. Enmity is a word that just means hostility. But, but it's harder than that. It means deep-seated hatred. And so churches that are full of folks who say they love the Lord, they'll split. Because half the church likes one kind of worship music, and half the church likes the other. And so you have First Baptist Church, but they decide they like contemporary music. And so now you have Second Baptist Church right across the street. And I'm not just picking on Baptist churches. This happens across the board. We have to remember there are ways to disagree (laughs) that don't end in separation. All the married people can say amen there. We can understand grace. We could put other people's interests before our own. We could trust and submit to leadership even if it's not what we want. Those are ways to show that we walk in the Spirit. But if we don't and we're fleshy, and we let our enmity and our strife lead us to these kind of results that Paul lists. Then finally, there's a last category, these deeds of the flesh. It's addictions. Maybe you call them compulsions. He mentions drunkenness and carousing, things like that. But what this is really is allowing any desire that we have to enslave us to the point where we don't walk in the Spirit. We let something become master over us. So listen, this is not that you take a drink. 
This is that you become a drunkard. This is not that I eat, it's that I become a glutton. Do we see the difference? We step on some more toes in case we don't. It's not that we have conversations, it's that we become gossips. It's not that we spend money, it's that we become addicted to consumerism to the point where we're in debt. This last category is where we give ourselves over to those kind of things. We become addicted to them. And so that's a big, ugly list. And Paul indicates all of these deeds of the flesh, they're obvious. People can see them in our lives, and we can look at a list like that and know that it's wrong. So let's switch gears, and let's look at the opposite of those things. These are the things that if we display these in our lives, it'd be proof, it'd show that we're walking with the Spirit. We're being led by the Spirit. And Paul calls these the fruit of the Spirit. And before I read this list, let me put something to bed real quickly. This is one singular fruit of the Spirit. There are not nine fruits of the Spirit. If you want to make it fruits, then we end up playing a game that God doesn't want us to play. Well, we'll look at that list and we'll go, oh, I'm pretty good at that one, but I'm not very good at that one. And man, I'm great at that one, but I really stink at that one. That's not the way it works. This is one fruit that is pervasive in the lives of Christ's followers. Paul has it in verse 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is, this would be a great memory verse, by the way, not to plug memory verse, but love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And Paul says, against such things, there's no law. I love that last detail, because to summarize how incredible the fruit is, Paul says, who would ever make a law against people who would exhibit the fruit of the Spirit? And you read that list, and here's the deal. The attributes go together, right? They grow together. They're fruit. And so I'm not going to take the time to walk through each one of these different attributes in detail today. If you're fired up about this and you want to spend some more time here, Pastor Danny did a great sermon series on this two years ago in 2012. It was called How in the World Are We Different? And so go to the chapel website and look at those. It was in the summer of 2012, and he did a week on each one of these. He actually did two weeks on peace because that was a big one. But, but you can go back and listen to those. What I want to do instead is ask a question. I want to be as practical as we can because we've now seen these two lists. When we hear these two lists, the deeds of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit, even in our brokenness, even living in this fleshy gap in our fallenness, don't we hear those two lists, the, the deeds of the flesh and then the fruit of the Spirit, and go, Man, what if? What if? And maybe it's the conviction of the Spirit. Or maybe it's teaching through this series. Or maybe it's your conscience. Or maybe it's you being in a spot like I've been before in my life where you wake up with a hangover. You wake up and you recognize you're just living in depravity. Whatever it is that directs our attention to the contrast between these two different lists, doesn't it make us ask, what if? What if I didn't live in these deeds of the flesh? I look at my life and I exhibit no patience. What if I did? What if I quit jumping out in front of God and trying to take matters into my own hands? What if I did that? We look at it and we want it to be something different, don't we? We say, I I live this life filled with deeds of the flesh. I want to live filled with the Spirit. What if? What if in my life... I showed self-control. What if I could eat one cookie without eating the whole bag? What if I could take one drink without getting drunk? What if I could spend money without coveting? 
What if I displayed gentleness in my life? What if I proved faithful? What if I could make a promise to somebody and actually see it through to completion? What if? What if when I got angry, I could hold my temper? What if instead of throwing up on people with my words, I could actually go to somebody and encourage them and build them up with my words? Isn't that what goes on in this gap? And so we sort of hang out there as Christ followers. We say, I want to be dead to those deeds of the flesh, and I want to be alive to the fruit of the Spirit, but then I live my life in that gap, and it looks the other way around. People look, and it looks like I want to be dead to the fruit of the Spirit. I want to be alive to these deeds of the flesh. And we're saying, no, I want to live the other way. I don't want that life. I don't want to be socially divisive. I don't want to be sexually perverted. I don't want to be addicted. But how do I move from this one to that one? Isn't that the question? How do I move from the deeds of the flesh to the fruit of the Spirit? And the big problem is, the same as it was in the church in Galatia. We're fallen. We come to a serious question like that, and what do we do? We try to find the answer by ourselves. We see the the effects. Man, I live this life, and I want to live that life. And we say, well, I just got to try harder. I just need to do something. That's where Paul's laboring with the Galatians. They think they can do something enough to be right with God. Man, I'm just going to make a plan how to get from point A to point B, and I'm going to be serious about that plan, and that's how I'll get there. I sent out a, a tweet and a Facebook post in the middle of the week just encouraging folks about the challenge from last week. How are we doing with being motivated to love others? And I got a response, and it wasn't anybody in the church. It was a girl I went to high school with. I have seen her in years. But she responded, and it was, it was sad and comical. She said, man, I have to work on that every day. I try so hard, she said, and Mass and Dr. Phil brought me up. That was her response, no lie. We can make plans like that. We can make a, a leap of faith on our own, but it's going to fail. That's the New Year's resolution plan for spirituality. I'm going to turn over this new leaf, and I'm going to be serious about it. And I'm going to initiate my plan to move from the deeds of the flesh to the fruit of the Spirit. Do you see the problem with that? I do. It's my plan. <laughs> I know me. It's doomed to fail. And here's where God's answer to this question becomes so clear. And honestly, the answer is so incredible. It works across the board. This works if you're a fully devoted follower of Christ or if you've never accepted God's grace. It's equally applicable. But if you're here today and you haven't, you've never responded to God's grace, then I want to make sure you see the offer that's on the table for you here. Because I don't care how you showed up here today. It really doesn't matter what your background is, which of these deeds of the flesh describe you. There's an offer here, right? You can come in and say, well, you know, personally, my life's filled with these deeds of the flesh. So I've got a broken view of sex, and I've got a broken view of relationships, and I've got addictions, and I've got issues. And on the surface, if we could just step back, we could distance ourselves from that and be honest, we'd admit, I don't want that. And Jesus is offering freedom. God, by grace, is offering love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And not bits and pieces of those things, all of it. He's offering all of it the second we let the Holy Spirit indwell our lives, the minute 
we begin our relationship with God. Paul says in this passage, we walk by the Spirit, we're led by the Spirit, we live by the Spirit, we keep in step with the Spirit. We can only do that when we have the Holy Spirit. And that begins the moment that we're saved. And so the big question is how? How do I move from those deeds of the flesh to the fruit of the Spirit? And the answer is the same. If we've walked with Christ for years or if we showed up here today and we don't have a relationship with Christ. Do we understand that? The answer is in verse 24. Look there, Paul says, Now those who, what? Belong to Christ Jesus. They've crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So for Christ followers who said we're in a war, there's this conflict going on between the flesh and the spirit inside of us, how will we stop exhibiting these deeds of the flesh and start living in freedom, living, displaying the fruit of the spirit in our lives? We've got to crucify the flesh. Because when the flesh dies, all the effects of the flesh die with it. That leads to the next question, how do you crucify the flesh? This is where the answer is the same. For those who are in Christ and those who are not yet in Christ, we've got to belong to Christ. We've got to belong to Jesus. That's how we can live by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, walk with the Spirit. It's how we can crucify the flesh because we can't do it on our own. It's how we move from slavery to the flesh to freedom in Christ. Paul says we've got to belong to Jesus. That's what the glorious exchange is about, right? Jesus offers us his righteousness, his perfection, and we give him these deeds of the flesh, and he takes them to the cross, and they die there with it. We just need to answer the call that God has placed on our lives. Paul keeps telling the Galatians they've been called by his grace, by the grace of Christ with the gospel message. We need to accept his grace and then fix our eyes on him. And then choose to love God more and more every day. Because when we love God more, the more the flesh dies. One of our last manly man meals in the spring, we talked about this. We talked about these deeds of the flesh or the sin in our lives. And we said it's like a lion that wants to eat us. So what should you do with a lion like that? Should you try and tame it? Like take that lion and put it in a cage so I can pet it and look at it? Oh, isn't it pretty? No. you got to kill the lion. We have to crucify the flesh. And verse 24 says the way to do that is not to try and man up and say, I'm going to go kill a lion. Not try and come up with our own plan. It's simply to belong to Jesus and let him do it for us. And listen to me on this. Once we belong to Jesus, there'll be things in our lives, God may give us some real wisdom, things to put in place that might look like a plan, that might look like we're trying to kill the flesh on our own but that's not it. They're not legalism. It's not our own plan to try and crucify the flesh. I was praying about that this week. And for example, I don't drink. I haven't had a drink in 15 years. It's not legalism. It's not because I want to look holy or prideful or anything like that, I promise. It's because as I'm walking with God and the Holy Spirit's guiding me in this gap, He has shown me it's best for me to stay away from alcohol because I have issues. I've got guys that I keep accountable for their internet usage, and they hold me accountable. It's not legalism to put a filter on your computer. 
It's not me trying to kill the lion on my own to have accountability partners. That's just wisdom that comes from fixing our eyes on Jesus and then walking with the Holy Spirit on this journey from our salvation to our glorification because we don't live on paper. (laughs) It's a fallen world. We live in this gap. We struggle with the flesh. And because we do, we need to be continually reminded of how this is supposed to play out, the freedom that God desires for us, where our lives would exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. So that's the last question. How do we persist in doing this? Let's see how Paul closes out this chapter, verses 25 and 26. He says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Paul's saying if we belong to Jesus, we do live by the Spirit. We've got the indwelling Holy Spirit inside of us to lead us and guide us and fill all these roles that the Holy Spirit has in Scripture, where he seals us for eternity, where he reminds us of the things that Jesus taught, where he convicts us of sin. The Holy Spirit's got a big role. But here Paul is acknowledging that battle that's going on between the Spirit and the flesh, and he's acknowledging the importance of choosing to be led by the Holy Spirit, choosing to die to ourselves every day and not do the stuff that we want to do, choosing to love our neighbors as ourselves. Because to do that for God's glory, we've got to be led by the Holy Spirit. We've got to be on this journey together where he's guiding me and I'm following. NIV translates verse 25 as we have to keep in step with the Spirit, and I like that translation. What does that look like? And I think the answer here is really in the process. We keep in step with the Holy Spirit by walking with Him, by being willing to be led by Him, by living lives that show the fruit of the relationship on display. It's really a practical idea. But there in that fleshy gap, sometimes we don't do that, right? Sometimes we don't keep in step because sometimes we feel pressure to fit in, feel pressure to look like the world. So we try to have our entire walk with the Holy Spirit fit into this hour and 15 minutes that we hang out at church. Maybe we're in a small group, so it's two and a half hours, but that's it. We don't walk with the Holy Spirit at our workplace. I wouldn't let the Holy Spirit lead me through school. He doesn't lead me when I'm at the gym or the grocery store. So naturally, we don't keep in step with the Spirit real well, right? We become excellent churchgoers, but weak Christ followers. We need some support. It would benefit us so greatly to be involved with other people for this. You don't have to be in a small group to be saved, seriously, but it would help to be in a small group. You don't need to be in a discipling relationship for salvation, but it would help to get plugged into this make initiative and make disciples because then we'd have some accountability. We'd have folks walking with us on that race as we're being led by the Spirit. It's really hard to keep in step with the Holy Spirit by ourselves. We need each other. We need a community to love us and encourage us and hold us accountable. That's why the writer of Hebrews instructs us this way in chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. He says, And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and what? Good deeds. Not the deeds of the flesh. Not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Otherwise, it becomes too easy to fall back into those deeds of the flesh. Paul says we'll become boastful, 
challenging, envying. We won't desire the best for one another. We need each other to do this for God's glory. And Paul will cover more of that next week in the first part of chapter 6. But today we're going to close our time together by taking communion. And this is fantastic because this will be so practical. Those of us here who are Christ followers will have time to be still and think about the simplicity of our need to belong to Jesus. Our need to fix our eyes on Him as the way to move from the deeds of the flesh to the fruit of the Spirit. As the way to experience the freedom that Christ set us free for. Because when we take the Lord's Supper at the tables all around you, that's what we remember, isn't it? God loved us so much that He sent His Son to make a way for us to be reconciled. And when He did that, He sent His Holy Spirit to indwell us and guide us and walk with us and lead us to the abundance that He desires for us. He's our constant helper to do that. We can rest in that during this response time and then come and take communion when you're ready. But if you're here and you've never accepted God's grace, then this is going to be a gift to you too because you're going to have the time to respond (laughs) to God's offer of reconciliation by placing your faith in Jesus, placing your trust in Him. Because you look at those deeds of the flesh and they're not attractive. And you look at the freedom, the abundance that's in the fruit of the Spirit and you say, that's what I want. Then you're going to have time to process that. And you can respond to the call that God is placing on your life. And if you do, come talk to somebody. Come talk to me or one of the elders or somebody that you know. Maybe they invited you to church today. Come tell them that incredible, incredible news. One of the realities of the gospel message is it demands a response. And so you're going to have time to respond. And they're going to come and play some special music that's going to remind us of God's faithfulness. First, let me pray for the bread and the cup. Daddy, what a joy to open your word and to read it and to see on paper (laughs) this battle between our flesh and the Holy Spirit inside of us as Christ followers and to know you're unstoppable. Holy Spirit can't be defeated when we allow you to lead us and guide us and walk with us and direct us. God, help us not to fall to the flesh. God, help us to live for you and the freedom and the abundance you desire for us. God, if there are those here who don't know you, I pray that this would be the time that they do. This would be the moment where they receive the indwelling Holy Spirit as their guide for the rest of their lives to lead them to freedom. God, help us as a, as a local church live in the freedom, the abundance you desire for us. God, I lift the communion elements to you. It's, it's such a practical reminder, the symbol of your body and blood that you offered up for us in this glorious exchange where you want to take those deeds of the flesh and nail them to the cross. God, we love you. We give this day to you. Thanks for the chance come together and worship. We ask all that in Jesus' name.